0: Hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall Bring forth the royal Welcome everybody to the Tag Your It Podcast, I'm Ray Ray And I'm Dave And Dave, yet again, over uh, the... Uh, I guess the FaceTime, live from Buffalo, Missouri. That is
1: correct. I am yeah. not in my office. I am in my home yeah. now.
0: Yeah, so this again is,
1: here, but yeah. It is,
0: yeah. And this is not a COVID-related issue. This is a foot-related issue. How is That's the right. foot doing?
1: It's going good, man. Uh, on the 8th, I am going to be able to go and uh, hopefully get my cast taken off. I have now been uh, non-weight bearing for like s- almost six weeks, and so it's been uh, it's been a long journey, but it's it's been been good. So I'm grateful for that, and uh, thankfully, you know, by God's grace, I haven't like lost my temper or anything like that with my family or with you. Uh, God's with you. just been good yeah. uh, through His common grace. He has brought people. Who are surgeons and doctors and nurses into my life to assist me,
0: man, and uh, I'm grateful for that. Man, that and is I, the greatest segue into what we're going to talk about: the no eight covenant right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and its effects and, and what it is. But anyway, yeah, um, yeah, so yeah, Dave's been out, and that's why um, he's still recovering with his foot. But the cool thing is, uh, is we got so really we got some really cool shows uh, lined up. So we've actually uh sat down and we we were doing this for a little bit and then we relented from it and then we did it again but uh and then we've relented for a long time of being very um organized and planning <laughs> for a while even during covid we really didn't or and like whenever i was home and all that kind of stuff i was like busy working on this stuff but we really didn't plan plan um but we've got some plans um and things in place or whatever Um, So I know on the 14th, of September um, we are talking with Rob Phillips um, so we'll have him interviewed on the podcast and Dave will be back in his chair that I'm sitting in right now but I will give it up to him um, whenever he gets back in the studio (laughs) because it is it is nice thank you (laughs) yeah but anyway this chair will move but because he will be right here and then we'll have uh, Rob Phillips on the line to discuss his uh, book on a basic uh, you know Christophany theophany um, the angel of the Lord and the old testament you know um great book and so i'm glad that uh you know we didn't get to do our traditional or we tried to make it this year the third time you know traditional trip uh or our trip to mecca anyway of the missouri baptist land anyway going up to jeff city and uh getting up to his office and stuff and and talking about a book but anyway we're still going to have the same treat um, and interview him about the doctrine of the angel of the lord um and the doctrine of angels just Old Testament, uh, around that. And because Jesus walks through scripture and he actually is in the old Testament and it's wonderful. Um, but the book helps you, um, kind of gives you some parameters and that's what we'll discuss on, um, how to tell if it's Jesus or, just an angel or an actual person called a messenger. Um, really cool stuff, uh, what he gets into in the book, and it's just really neat and handy um, for just, uh, you know, um, I hate the term layman, but for the person that's in the pew um, that's not exegeting scripture all the time that might pick up a systematic theology book and go, ugh, they can read Rob Phillips, and he does a really good job. Uh, yeah, he that. doesn't so we'll have him. Um, also, Dave, Travis and I will be getting together to work on the paper. Um, really, it's going to be a book, right?
1: That's correct. It is a booklet that will be produced by Baptist, Baptist. and Reformed Press. So uh A Ministry we're excited of Tagurat
0: Ministries. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: The <yeah>. publishing arm.
0: <laughs> yes, the publishing arm of Tagurat Ministries uh, will be called BNR. B and R. Oh, we we discussed BNR since we're from Missouri. From Missouri, BNR, <laughs> Baptist and Reform. Uh, But anyway, so that's uh, something cool to come up and stuff. And so we'll be doing that on the 21st. So we won't, you know, we'll have a bunch of shows lined up to where something will get uploaded. We will not be doing anything live that day, but the next week on the 28th, uh, we'll get together, discuss uh, what we want to talk about or what we're talking about in our paper, our book or whatever. And then also discuss miracles um, both times with Travis Harenic in the studio uh, with us on that. So that's going to be an awesome time. So we've got some really cool content to talk about talk about um, hopefully uh, I mean it's going to edify us um, and we just want to bring you into it and uh, edify you guys um, with what we do um, that's the whole point of this so uh, thank you guys again for being a part of uh, the Tagurit uh, ministries in the way that you are just by you know commenting every once in a while and, uh, and following us. And, and when you see us, uh, you know, just being our, uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And, uh, we thank you, um, that we've been brought together with you and that we just get to do this ministry. So that's awesome. So anyway, um, we, uh, have this, uh, next show and we wanted to talk about something that I saw that gone up. Uh, this one's hard. This one's very hard for me. Um, because it's very personal, um, uh, we've dealt uh, with uh, with Sonny Hernandez before. We've moderated a debate with Sonny Hernandez. I, I know you, Dave. You've got a decent little history with Sonny, don't you?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, his phone is in my uh, his phone number is in my in my phone. We I would consider him my friend. Uh, yeah. With that said, I do think that it's consistent for us to point out things that we disagree with, and it is consistent for us to caution. The mindset and the claims when we find them to not be accurate. And so that's essentially what we're doing here. It's not us trying to create some type of tension. It is to actually have a theological discussion about elements of God's grace that we think are clear in scripture, that we also think are historic, and we also believe uh, impact the way that we see God and his goodness. Um, And his mercy. And so when we deal with a topic like God's grace, it is uh, just across the board, God's grace and the grace of God is seen. An amazing definition is uh, unmerited favor. You know, you can see this all the way in Genesis chapter 6 with Noah. Uh, He, and again, I just think that this is a a really key text. Where do we hear of God's grace appearing first? It is in Genesis chapter 6 in regard to Noah. And it says so clearly there, and I've read the chapter numerous times, and I've tried to uh, at least do the best to understand what is being said there. And it's very clear, uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of his thoughts, of his heart, was not only evil continually, and the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved his heart So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. I am sorry that I made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I believe this is one of the crucial texts for understanding God's grace. Noah did nothing to deserve God's favor. Noah did not act in some righteous way. In fact, the text tells us, Every thought of man's heart was evil, and God regretted that he made man. Uh, that is inclusive of Noah. He yeah. regretted that he made even Noah. And then it says, but, but Noah found favor in God's eyes. There was nothing that Noah did to deserve God's saving there was nothing that Noah could have done in and, in and of himself to earn God's favor, but he got God's favor. And so when we talk about the doctrine of grace, we're understanding it from the historic biblical lens of what does it mean for God to have grace. And historically, going back to Luther, even going back to origin, this differentiation between God's saving grace and God's common grace have been seen as a distinct characteristic of Scripture. And that, of course, brings us to our article.
0: Yeah. Uh, out of and and, and before of we get things. there, though, the, the destruction that took place after Noah, um, it's bookended by what Dave just supplied. You know, um, Noah found favor. Everybody was wicked. Noah found favor, not of his own, but because God chose him to save him and his family, brought him through this, dist- brought them through this destruction, destroying everything, and then it's bookended by a beautiful, beautiful covenant. Now, as presuppositionalists or covenantalists, really, but just to, for the sake of that, the term existing and been around historically now for a while. As presuppositionalists, um, we rest our apologetic in common grace. Without right. common grace, there is no persuasion at all. There is no reason why. Um, Sonny here would only be writing an article to uh, a, a fellow believer. That's why it doesn't make sense. It's only yeah. because of common grace that we there is per, persuasion, um, and it's common grace and then the work of the Holy Spirit that that is the 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 arena of persuasion, the arena of gospel preaching and gospel defending. And so whenever we get into uh, Romans or uh, not Romans uh, and, and to Genesis nine. He, the Lord says, um, after Noah burnt the, uh, uh, made the sacrifice on the altar. He says, when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, he said to himself, "I will never again curse the ground because of human beings." Remember, there was a curse on Adam. Covenantal curse on Adam because of his sin. The ground was cursed, but he says, "I will never again curse the ground because of human beings." Even though. The inclination of he, the human heart is evil from youth onward. So people are still going to be wicked. He knows that. Right. He says it. He knows it. And he says, "And I will never again strike down every living thing as I have done." So that's mercy. He's not going to give them what they de- what they um, what they deserve. Right? That's that's mercy. As long as the earth endures, seed time, harvest, cold, heat summer and winter, day and night, will not cease. So the physical things, also uniformity of nature, science. We're presuppositionalist here. This is our covenant for science. And so the the, the grace that people are still wicked. They deserve death. That's He's not giving yeah. them eternal death. That's mercy. But what else is he giving them? He's not cursed the ground anymore. He's giving them abundance of food. And this is what we'll get into uh in, in into the article when we get there, but this proves our case. There is well, a common broad grace. There are particular graces um within God being a gracious person, but this is a doctrine that is there. Again, um we have to say that Sonny it does he does love presuppositionalism. I thought he was from a Vantilian um, you know, I understand there's the Clarkian-Vantillian um, sort of debate going on, um, you know, within within our ranks or whatever. But, you know, I think Cornelius-Vantill is supposed to be there. That includes Bavinck, Kuyper. Um, it would include Frame, Bonson, Schaefer, um, all these people I thought we could agree on. <laughs> so yeah. this is what's cool really – this is why it's really, like, hitting me. It's because I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. Um, without yeah, common but.
1: grace there is no proclamation of the gospel to lost people yeah because they have, they have done nothing to to earn that or deserve that in fact it tells me in Romans chapter 6 verse 23 that the wages of sin is death uh, Genesis chapter 2 verse 17 is so clear God didn't kill Adam and Eve even though they deserved it God allowed them to live without God's sustaining common grace, no one can hear the gospel because they don't even deserve to hear the gospel. So if we knock out common grace, right, we have to knock out, again, Second uh, Peter 3, verses 9 to 10. The Lord is not slow about his promises, as some count slowness, but is forbearing towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. By God's common grace, lost people who are insane, who rebel against him, they don't deserve to hear the gospel proclaimed. They should be destroyed immediately. Again, God's common grace is seen in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. They know God. I mean, it, it's so clear. That is our point of contact. Common grace is the point of contact for our apologetic. And so that's why it's so odd that he would say that common grace doesn't exist, uh, that it's no such thing. And we're going to get into some of this, but he's creating uh, a separate category, right? Here's where I think that there's problematic. The word common grace is and will prove to you historically something that was used. Calvin uses it in four of his commentaries, that exact Mm -hmm. terminology. And so historically, and I'll list the commentaries here in just a little while, but historically, this is something that the church has held to. The Puritans held to it in their confessions. There's numerous catechisms that use the term common grace. So to say that it doesn't exist is to put yourself in a circle and only be able to stand there on one toe. And I believe that Sonny's doing that. As much as I care for him and respect him, I believe this is an area where he is wrong. And we're going to do our best to demonstrate that from scripture and from church history, because that's actually one of the things he asked us to do in this article. Yeah. So So, that's a good
0: setup. Yeah, that was a very good setup. Thank you, Dave. Um, but yeah, so, uh, the article that he put out, um, his, uh, title is common grace is a myth. So all this church history is a myth. Okay. (laughs) I'll, I'll load it. He's loading it. I'll load it. All this church history is a myth. All these, people that we stand on the backs of definitely here when it comes to common grace, totally myth. Um, and we're going to,
1: we are going to overrun you tonight with quotations from church history, by the way, like we have literally over a hundred quotations from theologians (laughs) and I'm I'm not exaggerating.
0: Oh yeah. Uh, We have them. We might not give all a (laughs) hundred.
1: Yeah. We won't give you all 100, but we have over a hundred ready, loaded up to go. Um, And it's from books that we've read and commentators and theologians whose shoulders we stand on.
0: Yeah, but just to start out, we did show you common grace from the covenant that we as covenantalists have to hold to, and it shows common grace. Uh, But anyway, he says in this Common Grace is a Myth article, he says, is God's grace common? Absolutely not. Grace is a soteriological term that is reserved exclusively for the elect of God. Every time God's grace is mentioned in scripture, it is always salvific in its character. I guess Jesus needed to be saved.
1: There you go. I would likewise make this exceptionally clear. We are distinguishing that common grace is derived from saving grace. Because God desires to save his elect, he lets them live in a world where he doesn't give everyone what they deserve, which is, again, an act of grace and mercy. Uh, such a key piece. You have to ignore texts like Psalm 145.9, which my son has memorized. Uh, I would even bring him over here to have him recite it to you. But the, Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all. Did anyone deserve God's goodness? No. Mm. Therefore, there is a category here of God's grace that does not fit into the salvific category. What's being argued here, at least in the very beginning, is we're going to say that God's grace is not common. God's grace is is special. But within that category of God's overwhelming salvific grace, there is a point of God giving people what they don't deserve— that applies to the non-elect and so i would love for someone to demonstrate to me uh, ezekiel 33 11, where it says as i live says the lord god i have no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked would turn back from his way and live god is not destroying the wicked instantaneously like he does with the angels he's giving an opportunity for people to repent even when he knows that they won't. Uh, And he's doing that so that he could bring about his just judgment and punishment. Such a key and important place. He demonstrates his justice by not destroying people. Romans 2, 5, by your hand and in pennant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Uh, God, by his grace, is also interchangeably enacting his judgment in the same way. He is giving common grace to store up wrath. In fact, God's common grace is inherently linked to his righteous judgment.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those things when we think of just about the gospel in general, the gospel... Is the power to salvation, right? And this is yes. something I've repeated time and time again. The gospel is the gospel of grace, and it's gracefully given, right? That's right. Um, it's it's a product of the gracious God we we have, um, but the gospel is also the it's the smell of death. It's what the gospel will kill people as well. You know, it doesn't just make people alive, but it kills people. Um, either people are made alive or they're made harder because they reject it. Um, because yeah. they were already rejecting it. <laughs> they, they just, you know, they didn't want the God uh, that Jesus, you know, they didn't want the Father, right? And they didn't want the Son, um, which definitely rejects the Holy Spirit, and that's definitely doom right there. Um, but the gospel itself is a gift of out of God being gracious, um, to people. Um, and, but that, that also, so I mean, we, the thing is, is the multi-perspectival nature of things, um, to use well, that, utilize that word, the multifaceted nature of very, things. Very, yeah. very
1: clearly in this element, this claim that every passage in scripture about grace applies salvifically, uh, second Corinthians 12, nine, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. What is Paul talking about there? And, in 2 Corinthians 12. He's not talking about being saved. He's talking about God providing for him physically in his weakness. That has nothing to do with salvation. That is a false statement. I don't think that it's an intentional lie, but that's a false statement. He's making it very, very clear. Again, if you're going to hang on to that same idea, 2 Titus chapter 2, verse 11 to 14, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all people, training us up to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. One thing that uh, Paul is, t- is talking about there in his letter to Titus is not just the grace of salvation, but the idea of living in God's grace, the grace of God appearing to all people. Well, wait a second again. What are you talking about all and how does that work? Uh, again, again, I think that it's an overstatement, uh, very, very clear. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Again, that's not salvific in nature. He's talking about living in this world, in God's grace, but that's not saying that Timothy, again, uh, directly applying that to salvation, if that makes sense, right? Yeah,
0: I mean that'd be there, there's there's sanctification. I, I wouldn't. I mean there's there's to, going too far the other way. Um, but um, sorry, we, I But, yeah, but, but we, we need to focus on again. I just read the the whole issue of the Noahic covenant. Yeah, <laughs> you know that 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 is grace in and of itself. That's not just mercy. People are not getting what they don't deserve alone. Everybody gets what they don't deserve, too, at a certain level. It's not everybody's saved. By no means is everybody saved. And that covenant doesn't speak to the salvation issue. It speaks to the fact that the world will not be destroyed by a flood, which is, I mean, it deserves to be destroyed by millions upon millions of floods all the time, right? Um, but it doesn't get... So, again, again, we all get mercy, and then we all get grace um but right. so so i think really i mean the, the, again we we common grace is a broad subject and yeah. we can go deep into what grace is and and look at the little facets of grace right um but then we got to also get back to the broad we got to and we got to see how this is the vantillian approach to things this is the the multifaceted or as frame said multi-perspectival nature of vantill and how he how he looked at scripture and it's really i think it's definitely how we should look at scripture we can get in the weeds and we can find the one piece of grass but that grass is a part of a whole yard and you know you can look you can look at a piece of grass and look at its beauty but it's not going to look as you know it it looks cool and stuff but the full effect of one piece of grass whenever you look at a field and you get a bunch of pieces of grass, right? You know, it's, you get a big picture. And so common grace is not just a, it's not a small grace is not just a small issue. Grace is an overarching issue. And then we can get into the particularities of things. But if, you know, whenever you think about the term gift, gift is grace. That's right. So, (laughs) you know, so, um, but yeah, let's uh, move on. It says, so, exe- exegetically and theologically, grace is uh, the essence of the gospel and uh, is God's unmerited favor toward his elect uh, for whom his son died. Well, salvific grace, yes, and we can recognize the distinction. Uh, in addition, the Bible principally teaches that God's grace is discriminative. Uh, free, absolute, eternal, effic- efficacious, and immutable. Again, there's nothing common about God's grace. Well, again, this is called equivocation. He's This is sort of a um, trying to get you to call common grace. Like we're saying, it's just common, just ordinary. Don't worry about it. No, we're, the the term common is just what it is. It's common. And so, you know, this is just a uh, pageantry. Um, there is a, distingu- to, yeah. There's
1: a distinguishing feature among specific grace, which does bring about a common grace. Again, what do you do with the idea that everyone has benefited, everyone in the world has benefited from the church? What is that? They didn't deserve that, right? When the church does good and merciful things by God's hand, what is that? Well, that's yeah. God demonstrating a type of grace or a ramification of salvific grace. Yeah. And, and that's, we're not the first people to make that distinction, right? Uh, and, and we'll talk about that when we get into more of the church history elements. It, yeah. It's just so easy to see that.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, um, So if one believes... Uh, and I guess I have to say again. Here's here's the issue with it, it. God that God's grace is discriminative. Yes, it is. His saving. He doesn't save everybody, right? <laughs> he doesn't save yeah. everybody, and he's free to do so. You know, from his eternal, his his foreknowledge, his having all knowledge, his all powerful. You know, just all these attributes that he is. Yeah, we're but we're saying that the Bible describes, and we have to be there. That we, we can see from Scripture, the Bible describes that all men benefit all men have stuff that they are given that they don't deserve after been not giving what they do deserve. So that's the thing. Again, this is a broader, broader issue. Um, But he says, it goes on to say, if one believes in the common grace notion, they must prove from the Greek or Hebrew text where God's grace is applied to reprobates. All I can say is that I did by just quoting the covenant with Noah. I don't know. I don't know what he's really looking for. He doesn't ask what he's really looking for. Is he looking for? Does the does the word grace have to appear? Like does it doesn't have to say grace. Um, unfortunately, if that's the case, which is probably straw man, uh, but you know if that is the case, um, then okay, let's stop talking about the Trinity and all that kind of. But you know, I'm not gonna that I. It's not that it's not that simple. It's not that r- dumb. You know, that's a, that's a stupid argument to make. But you know, what what does he want? Um, and I think definitely the Noah covenant proves that he is gracious to all.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I'm trying to find something here. My, my uh, yeah. iPad here, you keep, you, you, you talk.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, uh, again, this element of having to prove Adam does go right back. And here's the interesting thing. He's appealing to Matthew five forty five. Well, let's look at church history. Oh, wait, he's going to be talking about this idea of church history here in just a minute. What is it that, Um, people like Burkhoff appeal to? What is it people like Oh Calvin appeal to? Uh, What is it that people like Voss appeal to? That's exactly where they go. So what you're doing is you're saying, well, throughout church history, all these theologians have misunderstood this text. I doubt that. I doubt that. And you just figured it out. No, uh, I don't think that that is the place that any of those other people would be standing on. And uh, I, I do, uh, just to jump in here real quick, I do think very clearly, I, I do, uh, I don't always accept everything from every theologian, right? And I do think that it's good for us to to question, okay, what is that? But when we have multiple voices that we trust in every other aspect, and they're referring to this text, uh, I think that it's a mistreatment to say, now, no, I figured out that that's not what it is. Uh, Calvin, in, in, in his uh, in his commentary, also appeals to the same verse. Uh, that's something that I think is, again, key. Voss appeals to this same place. And so that would be uh, what I would say is to say, well, I'm the only one who figured this out, and this can't be. That's yeah. problematic to yeah. completely walk away from all of these theologians That actually have been in the same camp as you, then say, now they got it wrong.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I I do think
1: that Grudem defines common grace very effectively. I love what Grudem says. Common grace is the grace of God by which he gives people immeasurable blessings that are not part of salvation. So if you're saying common grace does not exist, then how do you then say, all right, all these good things that God pours out upon the unregenerate. What, how do you define that? What is that?
0: Yeah, yeah. What like, is
1: your terminology for recognizing that? Uh, that are. is not offered here. Yeah, no, no, this one's
0: just an assertion that it's a myth. It's a myth because of this assertion over here, this assertion over here. So this, yeah, this doesn't uh, give you anything positive. Um, it's just that good, uh, zwingly takedown, but not really propping anything up. Um, which is why you know, like Lord's Supper with Zwingli, and then how Calvin actually did a really good job uh, <clears throat> building it up and speaking of calvin here um i 've got Lewis Burkoff and he he sums up john calvin, so um when you 're talking about calvinism um we 're talking about common grace, this is why again uh, we go throughout history, this is why you get to Kuyper, like you get to kuiper uh Warfield uh you get to Bob um you get to uh vantil and now we're we're here, okay? Through Bonson and other guys, um, but common grace is a Calvin doctrine. It's a Calvinistic doctrine. So <laughs> let's, uh, you know, Louis Burkhoff says that uh, Calvin did not agree with the position of Luther nor uh, with that of Zwingli. He firmly maintained that natural man. Um, can of himself do no good work whatsoever and strongly insisted on the particular nature of saving grace, he developed alongside the doctrine of particular grace the doctrine of common grace. This is a great grace which is communal, does not pardon nor purify human nature, um, and does not neglect or uh, not affect the salvation of sinners. It curbs um, the destructive power of sin, maintains in a measure the uh, moral order of the universe thus making an orderly life possible, uh, distributes in varying degrees uh, gifts. Again, charis is the term utilized for gifts too, not just grace, because gifts are from grace. Um, and talents among men uh, promotes uh, the development of the science and art. Again, science, no way at covenant, thank you, grace, uh, <laughs> and, then, uh, uh, and showers untold blessings upon the children of man. And so this is a Calvinistic doctrine. Um, so he would be even going down to the man um himself, which I know sonny uh utilizes the term calvinist um which is a definite fine term, but then has definitely been relativized as well, <laughs> so there's ways that you can use it to where the term calvinist um definitely is almost meaningless um these days too so but anyway, yeah. So, oh yeah, uh, I was just going to finish that. You know, if one believes in common like, grace yeah. um, notion, they must prove from the Greek or Hebrew text. So I guess I, I guess I need a Greek and Hebrew text and and know that to be able to even argue. Right, um, that's a problem, um, especially uh, in the light of the Reformation, having a Bible in the common language. Um, though I do get the point of looking up and understanding Greek and Hebrew, I'm not going to dismiss the scholarship, but then again, I do have people that can read Greek and Hebrew and help me out there too. Um, and that's people that, like I just read with Lewis Um But yeah, so he ends up doing his normal, really, you know, just the epithet, type stuff. Moderate Calvinists, Arminians, Emeraldians will appeal to Matthew 545 to argue that God provides common grace to reprobates because it states that he, God makes the sun rise on the evil and the good and sends the rain on the just and unjust. Well, um, I didn't utilize that. I utilized the covenant from where that makes sense. So there's a starting point and the starting point is the covenant. The starting point is the condescension and the revelation of God himself And he said himself he was going to have mercy, not destroy the earth anymore, not destroy the people of the earth, which they still deserve after the flood, and then not curse the ground anymore. That is grace. And if that is not good enough, I can't do anything for this. And I hope he hears me um, in love because, again, I'm not going to um, do the game of Sonny, you're not Christian you're a studier. You, 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 uh, you, you love it when people come to Christ. I know that. You work hard to go preach the gospel to people. You care about people. I'm not going to rush to the You're Not Christian game, and I'm not going to call you a hyper Calvinist. But I would, if, if I'm going to play the game, you are out of Calvinism right now because yes. you think common grace is a myth. Because if Calvin hey. believes in common grace, and you're calling yourself a Calvinist, you know, here's where you're not Calvinist. It's okay <laughs> to not be a Calvinist, right? But, yeah. you know, that's I'm not going to play that game, but we need to drop the epithets. Um but well like, he, but yeah. again,
1: Kuyper recognizes in his book Calvin on Common Grace, which is the name of one of Kuyper's books. He says that of course the term Cal, uh, common grace occurs in the commentaries of Calvin in Amos 9-7, Colossians 1-20, Hebrews 1-5, Romans 5-8. In each of of those commentaries, Calvin applies the term. Very, very well said. But further, Calvin even likes to use the term temporal grace, right? Or aggregated grace. Um, So if common grace is, is a bad term, just come out and say, common grace is a term I don't like to use. I believe in God's temporal grace, Or his uh, aggregated grace. Though Maybe I want to follow what Calvin said there. But that same concept exists within uh, his book, uh, Calvin's book, concerning the eternal predestination of God. Page 66. Like, Calvin held this same position. So be really cautious in who you're calling moderate Calvinist. Because Calvin applies the term. And he also applies another term, aggregated grace or temporal grace. So be real cautious when you're saying that only uh, only moderate Calvinists. So you're now relegating Calvin to that same position. You're more Calvinist than Calvin. Gotcha.
0: Yeah. Let me uh, get back to the article here real quick. No I'm problem. Looking something up.
1: When he says, and I think the next little piece there is, yeah. there is nothing common about grace. Again, every time God's grace is mentioned in Scripture, it is always salvific in character. I think I've shown by the context that Second Corinthians passage demonstrates that that's not at all what Paul is talking about. There is Paul saved, yes, but he's talking about God's grace and giving him strength. That is very clear uh, from the text. It, now, feel free, if I have made some error there, demonstrate to me that that's not what be, is being talked about there. Um, yes, Paul was saved, but what is the topic that he's dealing with there?
0: Yeah, and we so. Differentiate- yeah, and I think here's like a big pivot, right, or pivotal part here. It says, sure, rain and sunshine are particular aspects of God's providence. Well, why is he even providing providence? We don't deserve pro- his providence. Again it goes back to the, rapor, the reprobate does not deserve the abundant vegetation the, the the reprobate doesn't deserve the uncursed land of the Noahic covenant yet has it yeah. right and again that's the starting point to get to the Matthew um passage um that's grace um there's nothing common about grace again every time God's grace is mentioned in scripture it's always salvific in character, no. Uh, therefore, men argue that grace is common. They are injecting their own diluted presuppositions into the text. Well, guess what? They could, and we need to look at that, because um, we are not we are not Arminian, so we get it. We get that the Arminian view, um, from what I understand, um, definitely that's where you, we, we have our discussion with Richard Howe, apologetically, um, where they like you know it's maybe it's not a, a, exactly a prevenient grace but there's enough grace that we can come to the conclusion that jesus is the lord on our own um in our reasoning that our reasoning hasn't been affected but no we believe in the total depravity of man that that there without christ we can do nothing we can't even think good thoughts um we might that's be great. able to do good but that's only because we are made image bearers and again that beat that proverbial beach ball Um, Will pop up every once in a while and we'll do something good, but it's actually not good because we don't do it um, because we don't do it in faith to the glory of God. So, even walking an old lady across the street, yeah, it's a good thing subjectively, um, but objectively, if it's not done to the glory of God and out of a heart um, that is set on Jesus Christ, no, you're going to utilize that to talk to God and say, Help the old lady across the street, let me in. He's going to be like, I never knew you, dude. And that's, that's the problem, because I never knew you, covenantally. That's why the covenant is so important. That's why we need to talk about that. Um, so, uh, let's see here. Where are we in the thing here? And so, yeah, that we have come with deleted presuppositions to the text and are grossly redefining the meaning of, sal- of a salvific doctrine. Um, study church history. Again, we have shown that. Um, already to see uh, what kind of men are notable for redefining soteriological terms Um, they are called heretics well thomas watson Ah, (laughs) so again so what i'm going to tell you right now everything you just said cuts you off from from presuppositionalism at least van Til and everything before him i mean that's this is cutting yourself off from history and now you're not you know you're leaving calvinism and just entering Sonny hernandez
1: Commentary of Calvin's on Psalm one forty five nine: The Lord is good to all. Uh, Jehovah is good to all, etc. The truth here stated is of wider application than the former. For the declaration of David is to effect that not only does God with fatherly indulgence and clemency forgive sin, but is good without discrimination. As he makes his son rise upon the good and upon the wicked. Matthew 5.45. I guess Calvin's hermeneutic is off. Forgiveness of sin is a treasure from which the wicked are excluded, but their sin and depravity does not prevent God from showering down his goodness upon them, which they appropriate without being at all sensible of it. So, God is good to the unelect. Did they do something to deserve it? According to the notion that we cannot have common grace, they must have done something to deserve it. yeah. I'm Just throw tr-
0: that out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to find the uh, Thomas Watson, Yeah, which is a beautiful, beautiful quote.
1: Pererius uh, Voss, yeah. in his article, The Scriptural Doctrine of the Love of God, from the Presbyterian Reformed Review, uh, back in 1902, on page 11, states this. He says... Even the covenant conception is not deemed too sacred to be employed for the purpose of describing the solemn manner in which God pledged the whole of creation. In the day of Noah, his abundant, ever-flowing kindness in the sphere of natural life, his long-suffering in the view of universal sin, his common grace working for the restraint of sin, it is attributed to his righteousness universally revealed that he keeps his covenant and preserves man and beast. As Noah took pity on the gourd, so he pities and spares the Ninevites and their cattle. His mercy is wider and deeper than the ocean of human misery. I guess Voss is also a heretic.
0: Yeah. And then, yeah, the, the Thomas one, I couldn't, I, I'm, I'm done <laughs> flipping through pages. So uh, Anyway, but in, there's there's grace in the thistle, is, you know, what he said. So even in the thistle, there is grace, um, you know, so that, that that's the beauty of it is even even things that we um, I mean, we're taking everything for granted anyway. Right. Um, and, and the reprobate definitely takes everything for granted, doesn't give thanks. Um, even the even the reprobate getting a thistle from from God is grace. Um, And that, you know, that's kind of what I saw from Thomas Watson. That's a beautiful, a a poetic and stuff, but it is true. um, G.H.
1: Kirsten, G.H. Kirsten, in his book, Reformed Dogmatics, Volume 1, says this, under the title of common grace, although, as we stated, special grace receives the prime emphasis, nevertheless, we can speak of grace in a broader sense, hence common grace. The word of God gives us liberty to do so when it speaks of grace being bestowed upon the ungodly, which does not leave, lead unto salvation. And then he quotes Isaiah 26, 10, let favor be shown to the wicked, yet, he, yet will he not learn righteousness? And then Jude 4, turning the grace of God into lascivious, lasciviousness. And he moves on. The confessions also speak of common grace. The Belgic Confession in Article 35 says this. Now those who are regenerated regenerated, have in them twofold life, one of corporal and temporal, which they have from their birth and is common to all men. Thank you, Belgic Confessions. I think that's pretty reformed. How about the canons of Dort in Article 4, where it uh, implies this, Calvin was the first in this, and was followed by a long line of Orthodox theologians, with which God has richly blessed the Church of the Netherlands, Uh, Mm. again, this idea of God's common grace, the canons of Dort speak of it in Article 4, it's there, it's reformed. Why are you jumping off the ship of all of these people? So, the Canons of Dort is wrong. Gotcha. The Belgic Confessions, wrong. G.K. Kirsten, wrong. Voss, wrong. Calvin, wrong. There's a serious issue with this. How about Berkhoff? Yeah. You probably have this on your shelf. You're in his systematic theology. Yep. Right? That's what I, was quoting I have from the 1968 earlier. edition uh, page forty four hundred thirty-two to 446, he actually uh, goes on about common grace. But here's what he says. Here's Berkhoff. The origin of the doctrine of common grace was occasioned by the fact that there is in the world, alongside of the course of the Christian life, with all its blessings, a natural course of life, which is not redemptive and yet exhibits many traces of the true, the good, and the beautiful. Mm-hmm yep this is key stuff and it's and you say these type of men all of these men are now heretics
0: yeah and i mean it's one of those things that that god has told us in his scriptures that he is a compassionate god he is a merciful god he is a gracious god um he acts out of that he is not He's only against you because you do not love him because it, like Adam and Eve did not act out of love toward him, um, but he kept things going. So he didn't give Adam and Eve what they didn't deserve or what they he did. They didn't he didn't give Adam and Eve what they did deserve, um, but then ended up giving them what they didn't deserve. And that's the story. That's the story of all of Scripture. God doesn't give us what we deserve, and He gives us what we don't deserve. If we're and He gives us Christ, and then there's where the distinction is made. Christ is the offense, um, but to get there, He had to, you know, God um, and His and His uh, sovereignty. Um, you can, you know, again to get to Acts two, wherever Peter talks about all the decisions, basically of everybody all the history that led up to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ had to have this common grace in order to have a flesh-born savior <laughs> that who is god and who is man um and so there was common grace there to keep things going to keep things alive and you don't think that um that the church itself is the epicenter of how god uh, how god's grace spreads man uh, and so again. Like, we are Again, reflecting, if we are in Christ, if we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, it's not just God um, as God acting; it's God um, as God acting through His people, His means um, to then act. And so, uh, why why do we why are we called to even uh, giving give give food to the enemy? That is how God is having grace on them too. Then, yes, God is so gracious that he's going to utilize his grace in judgment. He's going to, I was good to you and all you could do is rebel. That's what makes things worse is because God is loving and has done nothing wrong to the evildoer at all ever. And he has allowed them to live and allowed them to breathe. And this gets you down to the the last, uh, the last uh, paragraph there. Um, it says, you know, if the wicked have nice things, good health, and air to breathe, uh, one should not regard this as testimony of God's love for all without exception or say this is common grace. Well, the thing is, is that the common grace is what's going to be utilized to go, I did nothing wrong to you. That's and right. You hated me. Go.
1: They knew God, and they did not honor him or give thanks to him. How did they know God? That's God's common grace. When... Paul stands at the hill in Athens and says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Therefore, what, what therefore you worship as unknown, I proclaim to you. Paul is appealing to their knowledge of God through common grace. They knew God exists. Without common grace, there is no point of contact there is no ability to, to reason or to make right decisions. We recognize that God allows his creation to prosper. Again, even looking at Romans two fourteen to 15, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature what the law requires, They are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that what the law requires is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or perhaps excuse them. God has put morals, absolute morals, even on the heart of the unregenerate. Did they deserve that? No. That is an element of God's common grace. And I'll stand on church history. I can give you tons of elements of church history. Again, where uh, the Westminster Standards, right, uh, use the word common grace. Uh, the Westminster Assembly in their sessions, right, I, I love this. In and, and the minutes from the sessions, the Westminster Assembly of Divines here is one of the statements. One of the questions was, Do all men equally participate, partake of the benefits of Christ? The answer, Although from Christ some common favor rebounded to all mankind, and some special privilege to the visible church, yet none partake of the principal benefits of this meditation, but only such as are members of the invisible church. Qu- Next question, what common favors were bound from Christ all mankind besides much forbearance and many supplies for this life, which all mankind received from Christ as Lord of all they by him are made capable of having salvation tendered to them by the gospel and are under the dispensation of providence and operation as thus of the spirit as led to repentance. Uh, just a key element here, uh, this is certainly historically where we stand to say that nobody again, nobody who holds to common grace or everybody that holds to common grace is a heretic that's really yeah. that's a massive statement
0: and just uh you know it's kind of the last little bit of history as you know Dave and you and I, and I know Sonny I've been told. He said it. He's a 1689 guy, Um, but as a point six of chapter five um it says uh in there just to, I'm not going to say the whole thing um here but it says they might have been enlightened in their understanding and brought and wrought uh upon their hearts but sometimes also actually I do need to read the whole thing for context there um Go so, for it, man. yeah 5.6 um as for those wicked and ungodly men whom God as the righteous judge for former sin doth b- blind and harden uh from them he not only withholdeth his grace um so Wait a second, let's keep reading. (laughs) Whereby he might have been enlightened in their understanding and wrought upon their hearts, um, but sometimes also withdraweth the gifts which they had. The gifts they didn't deserve, which they had, I have to take that from from the historic confession that you know i you know like I understand I have some problems with it you know the the whole antichrist and the pope issue I get it, I get it, um but this is clear um scripturally that we've already stated um that people are giving gifts, and God can take them away definitely they're gifts um they're not ours um the the rain is not ours, but he gives it to us, we don't deserve it. Um so you know that's that this is the problem that I have you know, and again it's it, you know i'm not wanting to to start a fight you know like there's a, I, I can you know be sarcastic and and say names and 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 get into that fight which is already taking place unfortunately, and i don't want it to take place I want it to be a reconcilial um brotherhood um that you know um you know it's one of those things like you know we've we've always approached um each other, you know, whenever we finally met, it was great to meet him, even though, you know, even before this, there are things that I had no problem, you know, I had some problems with, but, you know, he's a brother. I'm not going to sit out there and point out every flaw and stuff, but this one with the common grace issue, this isn't just a random being arbitrary, we'll find, you know, or, and it's not a finally the 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 camel's back just got broken in, in my world, but I go, no, this is at the heart of our apologetic. And especially as a brother that is not just a uh, 1689 brother, like there's a lot of things that we agreed on. And, you know, presuppositionalism is something that we definitely have in common. And whenever you say common grace is a myth, then our apologetic is a myth. You know, and so, so again, I'm not trying to be arbitrary. I'm not trying to, and again, like I see something like that and I just go, wait, 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 wait. And so, you know, unfortunately what's going on right now is we've been made fun of and it's told that we're not, su- that he's not surprised that we're doing this without him in the room. So that means I'll priority this. He really didn't care about us or trust us. So now Genesis three is happening. Um, we're not trying to point fingers where there, you've, you know, there's an argument to be made. It's out in public. We're dealing with it. That's what we do on the show. Um, we're not, again, I said, I'm not, I'm not going to treat you as some, it treats Sonny as somebody I'm going to, I'm not going to say you're not Christian. Um, you know, but this is definitely, uh, an error, um, to say that common grace is a myth. Um, sorry, I can't, you know, like I said earlier, sorry I can't read Greek and Hebrew fluently to get in, the, get in the weedy debate utilizing original languages. I can't do that, so apparently I can't have the debate or the conversation, um, but that's not my fault. Um, I, you know, uh, that it would be on the other side if that's what I have to do. Um, but then again, I have as the rest Reformation, as Martin Luther said himself and, and Tyndall and Wycliffe and all these guys um, believe that we should have scriptures in our own language. And yes, we do need to not just. Have prima facie. Um, we should dig in, get context, do hermeneutics, do exegesis, get into the languages if we can. We have been afforded lots of great things with this world. And so interlinears are fine uh, in certain a- applications, lexicons are fine in certain applications. And then community, brotherhood, reconcilial. Stop calling us names. Don't start the fight. We don't want to start the fight. Um, and just to answer anybody, to answer the question is, Dave wanted to spend time with his family and he did today. Also, Tag Your It happens on Mondays, so don't utilize that as an argument that um, he hates you. Um, you know, this is, we've had this planned and yeah, he didn't give you the full rundown of his day, um, uh, Sonny. And so that is a low blow and that hurts us. But we forgive you and uh, we still want to be brothers with you um, and, and we can discuss this reconcilially if you want. Um, my but, question yeah.
1: would be very simple on this. You said that these men who hold the common grace are heretics. Yeah. Are they really? <laughs> my son's in here with yes. me. Uh, are they? You've had that happen to you. Oh, yes, it happens. <laughs> uh, are they truly heretics? Are they moderate Calvinists? Okay. Um, I believe we've demonstrated from church history We have plenty of folks who hold the common grace that I don't think you could call moderate Calvinist Calvin himself, right? Uh, Just straight up. It's a term he used. He he did, more often it seems, from what I've read, apply the term temporal grace or aggregated grace. So maybe if you want to say the term and many people's understanding of aggregated or temporal (laughs) grace is problematic, I think that's a good discussion worth having. Um, I certainly do. Uh, If you say, I don't like the term common grace because I think it communicates the wrong thing, that's, again, another conversation. But to say that all these folks who hold this are all heretics, I think is an overreaching statement just from their writings and their, their influence in church history.
0: Yeah. So, and that's yeah. what
1: I got. Yeah. So, <laughs> I don't even know what time it yeah. is. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. We've got, we've got a good hour and stuff like that. but I'm sure this uh, conversation will end up continuing. Um, and if it does, we'll, we'll deal with it head on, but we uh, will, we will not take anything that is not reconcilial from the beginning. So there should be a brotherhood here. Um, yeah. And if we are considered uh, apostate now. Um, It's fine. You know, if we, if we, uh, you know, the Bible tells us, and again, the same, the same Bible that gives me uh, the, the uh, Noahic covenant also gives me the fact that if I suffer for righteousness sake, that's okay. You know, God is, God is my audience. God is the one who approves or disapproves things. And he's the only opinion, which if it's, if it's his opinion, then it's truth. It's not an opinion. Um, I just have to worry about what he thinks of me and is, and that he's pleased with me. And if I fail and if I'm wrong and, you know, I am allowed to repent because, you know, I'm a, I'm a adopted son of God. So it's okay. Um, I'm, so we won't respond to any name calling or finger pointing or coming up with, you know, some, some thing to say in a, in a comment box, just a jab. We won't respond to that, but we will respond to good questions. And, uh, you know, uh, definitely, uh, you know, let's reconcile on this issue you know and even if we disagree let's at least reconcile that we are brothers in christ if we can't do that then uh that's only on your end because we're not going to say that you're not a brother until i there's some other things that would have to definitely be met for me to um to get to that point to to call you not my brother so and that i'm being long-suffering dude just like my father in heaven so anyway, I think that's enough for today on this one on this one. And uh, we will uh again talk about this again, I'm sure. But uh with that said, this is the Tag You're It Podcast. I'm Ray Ray. I'm Dave. And Soli. of Gloria.